Hey there, and welcome to the Jimmy's Table podcast at jimmystable.com. I'm your host, Jimmy Humphrey. I'm curiously evangelical, politically homeless, and a dreamer of small things. On this podcast, I'm having conversations about the intersection of faith, life, and culture. So if you have honest questions, aren't afraid to have difficult conversations, and want to have a little fun along the way, then pull up a chair. This podcast is for you. So today in episode 138 of the jimmystable.com podcast, I'm going to talk about how God's been good to me. Ha. Or if I can inflect a little of my Southern Pentecostal heritage, God has been good to me. <laughs> but before we get into today's episode, I want to play a classic clip of a nice rhetorical flourish that usually you might hear in some churches, uh, historically speaking, when we talk about the goodness of of God. So let me play this clip real quick. Repeat after me, say God good. All the time. And all the time. God is good. Give God a great big shout here tonight. So that's kind of fun, right? I think we all can identify with that and we all sort of enjoy that. But what, you know, when we get down to it, I say that God is good. But my question is, what would you say God is? This, of course, definitely creates a number of different answers with people if you ask them, what fundamentally is God to you? And there's a lot of, a lot of different answers, a lot of things we can say, things that would be great and accurate and true. God is love. God is just. God is holy. God is this, that, and the other. But can you honestly say in your heart, that you agree that God is good. And we may disagree on a lot of different philosophical things regarding the nature of God. Um, And there's been a lot of speculation, you know, not only theologically, but philosophically, even from those who aren't in the Christian uh, and Jewish traditions about the the nature of God. Um, But I think even the, the oldest of pagan philosophers would say, yes, if there is a God, we agree Um, that God is good. And of course, the Bible asserts that one of the primary things that we are told about God is that, indeed, the God is good. We are told in the Bible, taste and see that the Lord is good. And this is an invitation for us to move beyond abstract, speculative things about the nature of God and philosophical questions Um, And instead, when we are told to taste and see that the Lord is good, this is an invitation that the Bible has for us to pull up a chair to the table and actually experience God for who God is. Taste and see that the Lord is good. We could attempt to define what that means, though, when we say that God is good. You know, good's a very simple word at the end of the day. It's a word that we've all known since as long as we can remember. It's probably one of the first words uh, we learned in our lexicon as children. Uh, One of the first words we learned to say. We learned to think of things as being good and bad. Nobody had to tell us a definition in a dictionary uh, for what the word good meant. We just kind of came to intuitively understand the difference between good and bad. 
And, you know, it's, it's interesting. I decided, <laughs> thinking of this when I was putting this podcast together, I was like, well, let's look up like dictionary definitions of the word good. So I, I looked it up in the English and the Hebrew and the Greek, uh, Hebrew and Greek being the, the original languages of the, the Old and New Testaments. And, you know, I was kind of intrigued about how complex definitions and how varied definitions were for the, the, the word good. It was, it was very broad and very vague and, and, and strangely nonspecific. Um, which is why I think, you know, good is not one of those words that you can really define so much as one of those words that you intuit and experience. So when the Bible, I think, when it invites us to taste to see that the Lord is good, it's an invitation to be engaged with God in a way that moves beyond the philosophical and the abstract and gets right into the experiential aspect of, of God. The Bible wants us to, to experience the goodness of God in the same way that we would bite into a delicious cheeseburger that leaves all the juices dripping down your forearms and hands when you bite into it. <laughs> That's quite the visual, but I mean, for anybody who's had a, a cheeseburger, you don't need to say why the cheeseburger is great. You know, the mouthful of watery meat dripping down your forearms is enough to say, man, this is a really good burger. Um, and it's, it's something that we may not be able to fully define, but our taste buds like, yeah, get me some more of that, right? Goodness isn't something I think we should necessarily seek to define per se. It's something you experience. Goodness is something that we can literally, like a cheeseburger, sink our teeth into. Goodness is an experience that pervades our very being whenever we run into it. Goodness is what causes us to bite in that burger and say, man, that right there, I can't wait to have another. <laughs> Even though, you know, we might refrain for caloric and art uh, intake purposes and so we don't clog our arteries. But we sit there and think, man, this is just so good and I, I love me some of that. So no wonder the Bible is rich, I think, with food metaphors when it comes to talking about the nature of God. And, and not just sticking to abstract philosophical concepts that, you know, the, uh, the Socrates and Plato's and Kant's and, and, and all the great thinkers of, of Western civilization have attempted to define when it comes to what God is. And I think that's why, like, we see Jesus. You know, Jesus picked up on the food metaphor, too, throughout the Gospels. Jesus calls himself the bread of life. Bread is one of the most basic foods that have sustained human civilization throughout the years. It's something that not only fills us up, but it's a simple food that we find incredibly satisfying and good. Whether it's a hearty sourdough bread that comes with its crusty exterior, or the, unlim or the unlimited breadsticks that we get at Olive Garden. At the end of the day, I think most of us would agree that we love consuming bread, and getting that bread inside of us. The more bread, the better we feel. And the re reason we feel that is because there's just something about bread that we find amazingly good. And yet here stands Jesus, here stands the Gospels, inviting us to his table to eat his bread and to fill up on him. Of course, there could be some things in our lives that threaten this notion and this idea that God is good. Live long enough, 
And as I like to say, life happens. <laughs> Live long enough and life happens. Trials and temptations come our way. Terrible things that we could never even imagine just unfold. Our hearts can be crushed. Our lives can be totally upended. And sometimes it feels like we're just there hanging by a thread. Some awful things in life can indeed happen that cause us to doubt the goodness of God. And things happen that might even cause us to be completely suspect of the entire notion that God is somehow good, that he's fundamentally good. It might even put us in a place where we feel angry or even bitter with God because he just We've got that sour taste in our mouth about life, and we're just thinking, maybe he's not so good after all. You know, I can relate. There's been times in my life I've been angry with God. I have been angry with God. I, I admit that. There's, there's been definite times in, that in my life. I've had some pretty hard things happen to me over the years. A time or two, at least. <laughs> I know what it's like to not have enough money to pay the bills. I know what it's like to go bankrupt. I know what it's like to have a sudden life-threatening medical issue. I know what it's like to suffer injustice. I know the pains of what it's like to be childless. I know what it's like to be betrayed. I know what it's like to lose loved ones. And as you've all known since uh, episode 118 of the jimmystable.com podcast, I know what it's like to go through divorce. And all by the ripe old age of 39. <laughs> Yet in all these things, and all these hard things that I've been through, the, the pain, I still can't help but find myself drawn to the cross of Jesus Christ. For all the horrors that may fill our lives in this world, don't get me wrong, there are some horrible things in this world. I can't but still feel in my gut, I can feel it in my bones, that there's still never a more horrible day in all of human history in which Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God made flesh, was tortured to death, slaughtered, crucified. Yet for all the horrors of the cross, we as Christians look at the cross of Jesus Christ as the greatest thing to ever happen and human history. For in it, Jesus Christ took our place. He bore all of our sin, our shame, and our sorrows. He took upon himself all that is wrong with the world, a world so hell-bent on evil and destruction and mayhem that it crucified its very creator. And in it, Christ gave up his life so that through the cross, he could make all things new. And it is ultimately in the cross of Jesus Christ and all its horror and all of its terror that we ultimately see the goodness of God in full display. It is there where all the wrongs and horrors of this world have gone to die with Christ. 
where God triumphs over all the evil and devilish forces that have ever existed in this world, and where new creation can begin to take place. I think our failure to see God as good when we go through the hard times in life, when all the horrors of this world happen upon us, is because we ultimately get distracted by those things. And instead of being able to keep our gaze on the cross, we become overwhelmed by the sea that we're drowning in. And I believe in my heart of hearts that it's ultimately on the cross of Jesus Christ that we see that God is not only good, and in spite of all that has happened in my life, that God has been good to me. And when you understand that God is fundamentally good and that God has been good to you, it starts changing the way you live your life. Throughout my comings and goings in my adult life, I've certainly had moments of weakness in my faith. I've not been a perfect person. Sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint you. But overall, throughout my adult life, and all my comings and goings, I've attempted to follow the Lord in all that I do. And I do that because God has been good to me through what he accomplished on the cross of Jesus Christ. And as a result of that goodness, I want to live a life that honors him. But in all this, there's been moments of great temptation. There's been time where other options look better to me in that moment than the option and the choice of following Christ. Things I knew that I could probably do and probably even get away with. Or to take actions that maybe even others would applaud in the moment as being a good thing to do. But I knew in my actions, if I did such things, those things would dishonor God. And I found in my life, because of the goodness of God, because of the cross of Jesus Christ, because I have tasted and have seen that the Lord is good and that God has been good to me, I found that there's some things I simply could not do. Places that no matter how tempting they look to me in the moment, I simply couldn't do those things because I knew in my heart that they would be a denial of the goodness of God towards Christ in my life. There are simply bridges I've found that in spite of the moment, in spite of the pain, in spite of the temptations, there are bridges and roads I simply couldn't cross over and travel. Yeah, I've given into temptations in my life without a doubt. And there are some situations I've flirted with longer than I ever should have. But as often as these things may have happened to me, when the moments have been great, when the stakes have been high, when the opportunity has come to pull the trigger, I simply couldn't. 
something in me would just stop. And I'm compelled to do these things and to live the way I live for those who know me best. You know what kind of person I am. I'm not going to go and espouse all my virtues <laughs> and what makes me great or any such thing. I don't want to do that. Because I'm nothing special in of myself. I'm just a man that is aware that God's been good to me. And being a Christian for over 20 years now, and tasting and seeing how God is good, I simply feel compelled as a result of God's goodness towards me and Christ to keep on the straight and narrow way and to live the life I believe he has called us to live, however imperfectly I might live that. For the life I live and the things I do and don't do are all from a spirit that responds to the beauty of God and his ways. Because when I think of the goodness of God, when I meditate upon his law day and night, they bring a delight to my soul. And I don't see myself as missing out, as God somehow robbing me and holding me back from something that could otherwise be some good thing that I could enjoy. Instead, I see that the ways of God are something that I don't follow from some sort of religious obligation or duty or, or something that, that I'm being forced against my will to doing or that I do just because it's a religious obligation and, well, you know, that's how a Christian's supposed to act. But because I do it, because I truly delight in it. And I delight in it because of the goodness of God towards my soul. It's kind of like taking a drive. If you ever go through the mountains of North Carolina, uh, Appalachian area, there's the Blue Ridge Parkway, very famous touristy sort of place with all sorts of curvy, beautiful roads that swerve all throughout the Appalachian Mountains from the top of Virginia all the way through Asheville, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, the top of Georgia. Um, it's this great drive. It's not necessarily the most efficient drive as, as far as getting around the mountains of North Carolina, but it is by far the most scenic route that you can ever take. And sometimes while you're driving on the Blue Ridge Parkway, which is beautiful in itself, just the roads and the layout and the design of the entire parkway for miles and miles and miles, sometimes even in the midst of all that beauty, you come to an overlook on the side of the road that frankly just kind of forces you to pull over. To pull over and to marvel over the beauty of everything that you can see. A goodness and beauty that will literally stop you in your tracks. And I believe that's what it's like to follow Jesus. I believe that's what it's like to follow Jesus. To taste, to see that the Lord is good and that the ways of the Lord are delightful to me, that they're beautiful to me, that they're captivating to my soul, and I literally have to stop in my tracks just to take them in. I feel compelled, not because to follow Christ out of some sort of obligation or fear of hell or fear of eternal punishment or, or torture or that sort of thing, even though I believe those things you know, are indeed real. 
but rather because I've been captivated by the most beautiful thing in all the world. In closing, I want to share a story from history, a story from the first century about a man named Polycarp. Polycarp was an early Christian martyr from the first century. The Romans had captured him, and they threatened to burn him at the stake unless he renounced his faith in Jesus Christ. It's a great story. You can look it up more fully on the internet if you want, the martyrdom of Polycarp. There's this line that has always caught me in this story, where upon threat of being burned alive, if he did not renounce Jesus Christ, Polycarp in his old age simply responded, 86 years have I served him. He's never done me wrong. How can I therefore blaspheme my king and my savior? Sometimes, friends, we are tempted to not serve God as we ought. Sometimes we're tempted to do awful things, to deny him with our words, to deny him with our actions and the way we live. Sometimes awful things in our lives happen that invite such temptations. And our escape looks easy. We would just give in for the moment. And Polycarp's life, when he was in front of all the Romans, threatened to be burned alive, he had an easy escape. He could have simply denied Jesus and saved his life. But Polycarp refused such an escape because I believe in my heart that Polycarp that day saw how good God had been to him. And he chose to serve God anyway. Because when you get a taste of the goodness of God and what he's done in your life, you simply can't imagine living any other way. And as a result, Polycarp surrendered his life that day. He surrendered his life that day and was executed by the Romans because he saw something amazing beyond the flames that threatened to consume him. So when I tell others why I follow Christ or choose to live a certain way and stay away from certain temptations, temptations that I will admit look very real and, and very good, I'm simply reminded in all that, rather, how good God is and how good God has been towards me and when I think of those moments, sometimes in those moments, I often hear the echo of the story of Polycarp and his, his martyrdom finding its way into my heart. Eighty and six years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my King and Savior who died for me? And I was thinking of this recently as I reflected on some situations I've faced in my life over the years, even some situations very recently. And I can honestly say, God's been good to me. And that directs my steps that I take in my life, imperfect as I am. I still keep my life walking according to the goodness and the beauty that I see. How can I do no, any other? God has done me no wrong.
God has been good to me. So everybody, this is Jimmy Humphrey, episode 138. God's been good to me. If you've enjoyed this episode, email me, jimmy at jimmystable.com. And if you've yet to subscribe to the jimmystable.com podcast, go to jimmystable.com slash subscribe and find your favorite way to subscribe to this podcast. Either be Apple, Spotify, Google, or however you get this podcast. You can also sign up by email. There's a little thing that'll allow you to drop your email address uh, in there, and you'll get a weekly notification for when this podcast comes out, typically almost every week on Sunday. Everybody, if you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me again. Email me, jimmy at jimmystable.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. If you go to the uh, uh, jimmystable.com website, and you'll find links to Facebook and Twitter where you can interact with me um, and talk about this this very podcast. And if you've yet to leave a five-star review, by the way, you can do that now. Apple. Spotify. Go to those places and leave a glowing five-star review saying, yes, not only has God been good to me, I'm also going to be good to the jimmystable.com podcast and leave it a glowing five-star review so other people might hopefully come to enjoy this podcast and maybe the way that you have enjoyed. So everybody, this has been Jimmy Humphrey, jimmystable.com, where I'm having conversations about the intersection of faith, life, and culture. Take care, everybody. God bless and have a good one. That's all I have to say about that. That's so right on, man. You said it all.